Welcome to Wake the F Up Podcast, hosted by Alex and David Long, where we talk about living consciously and helping people uncover their essential selves so that they can stop sleepwalking through life. Our goal is to create a safe space where our guests can share how they've decided to wake the F up and become mindfulness experts through their own emotional healing journey. Welcome to Wake the F Up Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Long, and this is my co-host and my husband, David Long. We are so excited to bring you a post-holiday special, and we are so excited to be in 2024. Um, It was a crazy holiday season, and we kind of committed to um, our family, and that is is quite a feat with five kids. So um, this is our first new podcast in the new year, and we wanted to just kind of recap 2023 and talk a little bit about the most impactful things that have happened to us in the past year that we've learned in healing and growing, um, co-regulating and working as a couple and as a team uh, that is constantly trying to be safe enough to feel. Yeah, we can talk a little bit about where we think we're going to go for 2024. Yeah, I think so. Last night we actually had an amazing work dinner. Um, David's I almost said studio manager, office manager, who's fantastic. Um, she's such a giver. And we were able to do this beautiful celebration. And I I don't know, I guess it was like a recap of what we're talking about. It was this table full of these extremely strong men who were all talking about growing up in homes where they, I mean, were seriously not allowed to feel. Not just like, don't be a baby kind of don't feel, don't cry, kind of stuff that you normally hear about. It was, I don't want you to be gay, like extreme. And I was thinking to myself, man, I, I feel the pulse that I knew was coming, at least just with us, like, and, and the men in my life that, and I really have been trying to instill this in as a mother, I want my boys to be able to feel, and I never want them to feel like they can't do that. I just, because I think it leads to a life for others and not a life for yourself. And um, I think that would be the scariest thing as a mom to me, that my my son would grow up and not express himself and what he needs. And so I think that's been a big theme, I think, for us for 23 is like Yeah, I would say, feeling. in fact, last night I had like a, um, and I'm not responsible for all that. I don't, I don't want to take credit for it and you're not responsible for it. They've done a, some work, a lot of work themselves. Yeah. Um, but I did have kind of like that Ted Lasso moment where the truth is, I think we did set up my business with the kind of right yeah. mindset. Ethics. And it has really, um, I think, encouraged, the num- number one, the right people to be present, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and then the second thing is that in that environment, they feel comfortable continuing that process. It was so evident, mm-hmm. too, and I actually feel like wake, I've tried to... <clears throat> Just like Grace. Yeah, well, I've made a lot of changes. I mean, Grace to be honest, is a, was, is a health studio, an amazing, amazing Pilates brand that I created um, with my previous business partner who was with me for most of the time, but in the end, we ended up going our separate ways. But it wasn't always as healthy on the inside because I was, my husband was dying and um, I was very codependent. I have a lot of perfectionistic issues. I wanted things to be flawless and I was a tireless boss who fought and wanted things but I think I don't 
I don't have a single employee to this day that still works at Grace that was, except for Harmony, that was um, originating staff. And I think the reason is because as you grieve, um, if for those of you who have had major loss, sometimes if loss is significant enough, it shatters everything and you cannot go back to the person you were before. You cannot live that same way. And so for me, codependency after caregiving for five straight years, um, that resentment, that burnout, and people like me needing others to help me, uh, I couldn't have made it without it. But I needed to separate myself and do things the way I needed to do them. And that was, <laughs> that changed everything. So a lot of my friendships changed. A lot of my coworkers um, and employees left. And, and I evolved a lot. And with Wake, I feel like even this holiday season, I could hear patterns from my staff that are all so, so talented being like, oh, I just, I'm going to get to that. I have this project and this thing and this and my kid and this and this and my nanny. And like, I was like, listen, guys, like, let's just take a breath. Like, I, what if we didn't, and we have to have deadlines to some degree, but like, what if we didn't make up deadlines to hurry, 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 hurry all the time? Like, what if our work was, we put good effort in, but we do it at the pace that feels like actually authentic from a creative space? And to be fair, I have to be in a really good healing space to put content out on the app. You know, it's really not easy. We've got a lot going on behind the scenes right now. So, well, I have certainly never worked in an environment that was even remotely healthy. I mean, I know well, the, medical the world, hospitals and stuff. It's not. It's the opposite of healthy. And in the boardroom, same thing. It's just not. Um, you're in the room with, and no one there is capable of really telling you what they feel, want, think. Yeah. And nobody has the skills. And uh, I mean, actually, I, it just dawned on me why the my board meetings in the past were always so uncomfortable. And that's the reason. The, the reason is that, you know, even though we were a group and we were there for the same, you know, purpose to provide patient care and blah, 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 um, no one could really say what they needed in the whole room. So we would have these meetings and you'd leave and we're like, what, what do we just, what just happened? Well, nothing happened because no one said anything of really of what they really wanted and needed. Well, the most successful, I mean, when I worked in the medical field, the most successful people were often narcissists and codependents that had found a good, unhealthy way to work together. And that's, you know, they actually set up yeah. the system like that. You know, it's like these high-powered, in-charge physicians. And you don't necessarily have to be, I'm not saying you have to be narcissistic to be a physician, but I think some really bright, excellent physicians tend to have narcissistic te tendencies. It doesn't mean they're actually true narcissists. But, and then I think really amazing nurses can anticipate needs of everyone around them and can into it and in that they generally can be very codependent and in that there's so much resentment because there's overworking and not enough saying what we need on either side and um it's interesting yeah yeah so i'm super glad that i think we're we're sponsoring a culture of um openness and um you know, you can emoting. Yeah, emoting. you can tell anybody how you feel, and that's fine. It's okay. You know, what's super cool is um, one of the couples at the table almost got divorced because they were holding back on emotionality, and they listened to our podcast. And actually, um, the husband decided, like, by listening to David talk about feeling, that it was the first time. I think what what you said was the first time he connected to the fact that like. That's it. He had been suppressing and suppressing and shoving all this stuff down. And yeah. 
And that's been a big thing for me, being a part of this podcast, for sure, is that I've never felt any sort of, like, um, connection with men, per se. I've never been kind of a man's man, if you will. I don't. I just disagree with that. It's true. I've, I've never, like, just wanted to hang out with men. And some people like that. Oh, I um, and that's, you are a manly man, though. Like yeah, manly man, but like I would never, like, I never would be like, oh, no, I've got to do this just with men. You know, that's, I've never felt like that. But this podcast has uh, kind of inspired me to um, at least tell my story and maybe some men out there will, uh, we can normalize a lot of this for them. And that's actually, that's a huge part of, <clears throat> the truth is that that was the first year of therapy really was just normalizing the, feelings. the feelings. And because you really do think you're kind of on your own and you're having all this internal turmoil and nobody's talking about it. So you really kind of think you're the only one. And if you don't have a really supportive wife, um, maybe you can feel like you really are all alone, which is not the case. Um, and I'm hoping, I mean, I hate to jump forward, I'm hoping in 2024, I would love to do um, either a couple's retreat or some sort of co-ed thing where we give men the opportunity to have what, what Alex has been having this wonderful experience uh, in Mexico and all these well, you did. The, we places. wake us doing these amazing retreats, and um, myself and another yoga leader, uh, Callie Sky Nielsen. She leads in breath work, and we we kind of co collaborate on this retreat. And I do a lot of the nervous system work, and we get to the root of what inside of you makes you feel unlovable. And you know, it's funny. I've only done this work. I've opened it to to all genders, but it it's women are the ones that end up gravitating towards us. And David is constantly like, it's so unfair. It's so unfair that... Not only is it unfair, I think it's ultimately... Um, dangerous. Doomed and dangerous right. if you're not including us, the whole other side of the at least family dynamic. Um, true. The spouse. It doesn't have to be a man, but it could be... Well, and in the company, we are open to all genders. and um, But I have to say that... It hasn't, it hasn't worked like that. So if you are listening and you have any ideas, you know, send us a DM um, in the notes. There are tons of ways to get in touch with us and let us know, men out there, um, what would it be like for you to, or what would you have to do, I guess, to book a retreat? Would it, yeah. would it be a severity moment? Because even life? for me, who's relatively available and open to yeah, feelings, you don't go on retreats. like when you went to the retreat and we were talking and you were telling me what you were doing, there was part of me that was like... You were mad. Yeah, I was like, well, was well, fuck me. You're having this wonderful, like, life-changing experience with these people and the shaman and the all the different experiences you have in a retreat. And I'm sitting here, like, dealing with the kids and trying to figure out food and going to work and all this kind of... And I was, I was like, fuck, I need a retreat, too. I mean, I, I would like to go on a retreat as well. well but I think men... We are going on one for your know, birthday. But men, I think men feel like they have to stay home and do the business of the home or whatever. And that's just not the case. I mean, I think that that can be co-done um, together. Co-regulated. Co-regulated co together. And um, it's, well, very, it's us, very alienating. Send us feedback, right? Because we... Um, my thoughts are... I, and here's the thing. Like, when you're trying to be an inclusive brand... You want to say, okay, well, couples retreat. Well, then, you know, you leave out people who aren't in 
are, are non-coupled, you know what I mean? So it's, it's always a little bit challenging and when you're creating emotional content, it's, it's helpful to, to go into sort of a theme or like something because there's so much to cover. Yeah. In fact, I'm hesitant to call it a couples retreat because we, and we've talked about this before, like the, the journey is an individual one, even though you may be able to do okay. it at the same time or together. The truth is, even if you come as a couple, you're going to be doing work. Individual. Individually. Well, so, it's it's not linear, so so it's not like we're, it's not like we're you know going to be having joint spa stuff. But I I would like to see, I would love to see men, um, listen and talk, and yeah. then let's talk to the women about what they're feeling. I guarantee, because some of the stuff you've told me, uh, I I promise you, most men have no idea about. I I promise you, most men don't know that some women feel that way. Well, and I think, you and know. And vice versa. I know there are women that don't know that their man is actually feeling and thinking and worried and all that, you know, because like, we don't talk about it. Right. Getting to the root of the fear. I actually think, you know, Brene Brown is so on when she talks about her research and she's like an avid researcher. I'm not sure if you know her work, but she, vulnerability is her work and she's, she's huge about it. And um, she's right. Like basically the way to connect is, is, through vulnerability, and I believe that to be true. <clears throat> Our company is really about, and the purpose of the podcast is to kind of connect people to real life scenarios of what we're feeling. And um, it's it is really hard work to heal and be honest and be open. And in 2023, I think one of the biggest recaps for me is I've been doing <clears throat> grief and trauma therapy for 10 years now, and and it, and I was telling you know my my sister actually, that the nervous system healing and the somatic work that I started to work on, I guess it's been almost two years now, but it's changed a lot in me where I recognize that I cognitively have a lot of understanding on why the root of the things trigger me and cause my, my pain and my anxiety, but that my body, you know, the autonomic nervous system, its entire job is to keep you regulated and safe, right? And safety can be perceived safety, um, you know, from threats that are not a tiger per se, like the original life was in the world, but like something that you're f- afraid of. You want to go back to that space because you don't want to be lovable. And I think it's so applicable to our listeners because all day long we're actually going into survival skills or survival patterns to protect this fear that we all have inside that we are, if we do this, we won't be able to connect, safe to connect or lovable. Lovable is an easier way to look at it. And inside, um, that's changed my work. It's changed my work inside. It's changed my work externally. And, and, and I'm now wandering through the world asking myself the somatic question, which is, how does my body feel in this situation with this person in co-regulation? And am I safe here to feel? You know, like if you wait for yourself to, to, um, to get it intellectually or in your cognition, you may have already screamed and yelled in broken place or whatever. You know, you may That's have right. you may have already reacted negatively. Um, and then I know for me, like when I get dysregulated, I'm already dysregulated, and then it's then you, then it's repair time, right? Then you're um, so you can sometimes you can feel that coming in your body well before you uh, know it in your brain. In my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's yeah. really good about asking me, like, it's freaky. She'll ask me, um, she'll say, what's wrong? 
And I'm like, nothing's wrong. I'm fine. <laughs> you always do that. Right. And the truth is, though, she's kind of sensing my body um, movements or mannerisms that are different. Um, and then when I really start thinking about it, it's like, yeah, you know, I really, I'm worried about blank. Um, just, I was unaware of it. So my advice to, to um, friends, partners, anyone in a co-regulating state. So co-regulation co isn't a nervous system term, so polyvagal term about two nervous systems sharing space, right? As humans, we the thing that makes us human, the part of our brain that is the last in evolutionary stages is that we, we have a need to connect with other people. So coupling is a part of what we're supposed to do. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be married or any of those kind of things, but it means having connection with humans, other humans, is where we feel at our highest self. Yeah. And so... You can actually, if you are practicing an active listening sort of thing in your partnerships, see when your partner is dysregulated. There's lots of signs. So sympathetic responses, which is anxiety, which is David's. David's a bit of a fight or flighter. Um, and I can see it. He'll you, you can maybe watch him even on these films sometimes. And he gets nervous to start these and then eases up. But he usually clears his throat. He's tapping and moving his feet, as you can see already. Um, he will dart his eyes a lot left to right. These are, there's patterns that, there's only so many humanist, humanistic patterns that we can trace that lead to these behaviors. So a lot of movement around is like, I got to get out of here. I kind of innately want to leave. I get that a lot. Anger can be flushed, uh, red chest, you know, and you can look for these things in your partners and your friends when you're communicating because what's so awesome about the science behind this is it's actually really functional and I like, I like science and subjects that actually, like, are applicable to life. That's why, like, he loves these, like, higher-level math. And I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about how, or how to apply this. And same with all the science courses I took. I'm like, uh, when we get so subatomic, I'm like, mm, I don't know. You've lost me here. But in this, like, you can actually watch and track someone's movement and know where they are in their nervous system and you can watch a release of tension, too, on someone. So when they get to safety, you can see their shoulders come down. Yeah. They're breathing more regularly. Yeah, I, and I am not to the point where I am. I just I need to study more about it. But I would love to be able to know when my kids are getting dysregulated before we have a blow-up. Children, you know, it's so interesting. I read something actually posted on my um, Instagram handle, which Alex Longwin did. You can check it out. There's this awesome... Um, healer, I'm sorry, I don't remember her name, but you can check it out and follow her. But she was really cool. She was talking about, as a parent, it is our job to stay regulated, yeah. right? And to not allow our children's dysregulation. So when they get dysregulated, to not let it dysregulate us. And that's co-regulation, right? So all the time, we're constantly feeding off people around us energy, and it's, you know, I always equate this to the hospital, right? When I worked in the hospital, you would walk in the room with a patient who was in the ICU dying. No words are said, but you can feel the heaviness in that room. You will go into an OB room or a labor and delivery floor, and you're feeling this excitement, positivity that this new life is springing up. You know, it's, that's happening all the time. So the physics of how we, in, in our environments, of how we live together as humans we are absorbing each other's energy, whether we know it or pay attention to it or not. And so wake and the app and what we're doing is all about intentionality, right? So it's, it's, it's paying attention. You have to attend and, and look at what's happening around you and how you're feeling 
in order to be aware of anything. Yeah, I don't, and, and if you're dysregulated, there's no way you're going to appropriately interact with someone else who's also dysregulated. Right, and so this was what I was saying with the science. It's so awesome. So when you get into fight or flight states or even a freeze state, your brain actually moves all of its energy towards protection, right, instead of connection. So when you're safe and you feel like we do with each other most of the time, but even in marriage, right, like you know what I'm saying when you're like, I don't want to tell them this, like I'm pissed at you. I'm you, you move into protection zone versus connection zone, and so if you if you look at the science behind that, all the energy goes to your stomach. We we get kind of racy. We we are not fully using our brain at that point. We are all the brain, half and most of the brain is working towards keeping you safe. And that's so interesting. Yeah. And, and, you know, when we talked to my son's therapist, you know, she made the, she made this point that, you know, when you get into conflict, your, your child is going to reach a point where they're not, they can no longer receive because they're just, they're just protecting themselves from this uh, scary, potentially hurtful situation. And she made the point that when, when they reach that point, which can be like, this right, mm-hmm. then there's no point in pursuing it. Well, that's you what might this as lady well, was saying. You might Don't. as well take a break, maybe even sleep on it, maybe even give it two days, and then revisit. Revisit. This um, is what that is, psychologist was saying. She which basically is was so hard to do. So hard to do. She was like, "Don't get dysregulated when your kids get dysregulated. You are the adult in the room, so your responsibility is in self-regulation." And and as you watch around people that you love, like no matter what relationships you're in, if people can't self-regulate or get themselves calm, they'll constantly be reactive. And I literally, I would say one of the bigger reasons I probably was unsuccessful in Grace Employment was I was, I mean, losing my husband. I was dysregulated 24-7. I was reactionary 24-7. I wasn't yeah. an easy person. I was always, I remember, I think Bridget said one time, you're always mad at someone. I'm like, damn fucking straight. Yeah. I'm actually just mad. And inside, I'm just super mad. And still today, even my office is fantastic, but I, they still come to me with problems and they ask me what I'm going to do. And most of the time I tell them nothing. We're going to do nothing right now. And yeah, we're going to think about and it. And we're going to think about it. And then 99% of the time, the problem will kind of work itself out. And then you can discuss it with, with the person or the situation. And it's completely different than trying to, you know, he did this, he did this. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? We need a new policy. No, no, we're going to do nothing. Just right now we're going to do nothing. And then we're going to figure this out when we have all the information and everybody's um, in a different state. It's such a good, it's such a good life skill is to sometimes just sit with it. And I think that's... Well, it happened last night against my... Now, I didn't, I'm not going to take credit for it. I can't honestly say that... So I had a, we, my, I had a fight with my... 17-year-old last night, and I'm not going to say that I consciously thought we're going to let this sit, but it actually ended up that we had to let it sit. Um, because we had to go to a work dinner. Right, because I had something to do, and actually it it really helped, um, I think, to not... Well, that literally, the Instagram post I put up was exactly that. It was like, when the kids are dysregulated, you shouldn't get dysregulated, but not just that, like... Tell them it's okay that you're dysregulated. We're gonna take a minute, and we're gonna we're gonna work on this conversation. I want you to say how you feel, and even you can't talk to me like that. Might be an example. Like you're talking to me in a disrespectful way because you're dysregulated, and that's you know that we don't talk to each other like that. 
but I'm going to let you calm down and then we can reconvene and go through this because I think we're not on this. We're not regulated on the same page right now. And it's, I mean, fuck me. That's incredibly hard. Very hard. And I, and I try to do it the other way. If I'm worried or, you know, looking at the bills or whatever, you know, concern that I have and the kids start, bow, 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 you know, I just look at them and say, Hey, listen, I'm not feeling great right now. And you asking me what's for dinner at two o'clock is a potentially, you know, going to bother me. So let, why don't we discuss that later after I've kind of gathered my shit? Because when I'm really upset, I can't, you know, other than an emergency, I can't, you know, appropriately deal with the little things, you know? Right. It can, and I just have to ask them for a break. Stuff. Now, unfortunately, they don't have the skills to ask you for a break. Maybe maybe one of our kids does. Um and that's great. It, you know, he, can, he, can, he does it well. He'll ask you. you know, he'll tell you, I need, I need to do nothing or I need some space. But the other ones um, don't necessarily understand that. Um, Which child? Car's pretty good about telling you. Well, I mean, I think it's interesting for those of you listening. My son has lots of, I mean, I would say um, <laughs> a lot of the trauma that he's experienced because of some of the things that happened in the cancer journey have made his nervous system... His dysregulation? All of our kids' issues. No. I mean, if you want to talk about a 2023 recap, (laughs) I was going to say that I was most proud of just what we're saying. So the thing about dysregulation in a parenting setting, and then, gosh, can we even talk about blending on this? Like, So being a step-parent and coming into children that you didn't raise from the ground up, that there's so many facets to blending two different families and creating new traditions that draw out insecurities and for me I don't know if you feel the same way but you know if you're if your origin of woundedness which I find is almost everyone is that I'm not good enough I'm not lovable let's put it in different terms I'm not safe I don't know there's like a lot of ways to say it but I'm not lovable is probably the most universal one I hear in the retreats then when you get stepchildren or even your own children triggering you all the time or reminding you that you're not the person that they want especially when you've had a loss of the of parents like we do it's incredibly challenged to not be triggered 24 7 in our house for both of us and then yeah i would say the difference for me i feel it for sure like i definitely feel sometimes it's not all the time but sometimes they'll make little comments or they'll treat me a certain way i'm like "Mm, you know i'm 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 not their dad i can't i'm not what he was i can't give them that even though i really want to give them that but it doesn't lock me up per se. I tend to just, I roll with it. I think I'm a good, I, I am a good dad. I'm a good You're dad. A great dad. And um, I have a lot of positive feedback that I am a good dad. And the truth is I'm the dad that they have. And I'm not perfect. I make mistakes, but I'm here. You know, and Jan's told me this too. She's like, you know, don't stop beating yourself up. You're present for all of them. Um, and a lot of parents aren't or can't be. Right. And I think that's that that helps me kind of deal with the feeling that I'm I'm not their dad. Which it and I, I wish I was their dad, but I'm not. But I'm I am their dad figure, which is great. I mean in a lot of ways, it's amazing. Really, it I mean being a stepdad is a pretty remarkable. Um, it can be really amazing when they choose you because they don't have to. We could just 
live in this house and we could, you know, basically be separate. Um, but they have chosen to not live that way, which is great. And I have chosen also to parent them, which is also great. I would so say it can be great, but it can be very triggering and it can remind you. And most of the time they say stuff, they don't, they don't really, they don't even know really. Well, they're dysregulated. Yeah. They don't really know what they're saying per se. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they do. Like what, the one time uh, Kate told me that I wasn't very fun. You know, I wasn't. You weren't was, silly like her dad. She likes silly. to say that. I wasn't silly and it, it hurt my feelings a little bit. Um, but. I mean, her dad was really silly. I mean, he used to, because he would be in bed for days on end when he got up. You know, it was very Disneyland. But she didn't mean that she didn't love me and she didn't mean that I'm not great. She just meant that. Yeah, you know, my dad was really silly, and you're not as silly, and that's okay. I mean, I, I don't, I don't need to be what he was. I don't need to be. I get to be my own person with them, and it's challenging, though, if you think about it, because saying you get to be your own person implies that you know who you are as a person. Yeah, which yeah, I mean, if yeah. we can, co- that's a whole other. That's chapter. a big right. That's a but big. it's like you know, parenting is exactly that. It's like this giant mirror of like. You say these things because this is what your ex- your expectations for your children are, and then you're like, "Do I even care about that, or am I just saying that?" Is that? And I've been working with this shaman, one of the ones that was on our retreat, and she's like so freaking amazing. And I'll put her information in the show notes. Uh, by all means, anyone who's seeking deeper healing, she's really really amazing. But this was the thing we did some work last week in a meditation where. I was so dysregulated last week. I mean, I think ever since my father-in-law passed away, Carl's dad, I just haven't had one weekend to calm my nervous system down. It's been just like more and more and more and more. And so I finally, like we got through the holidays after we do this like long trek with all the families and it was all actually really positive. There wasn't anything Mm -hmm. negative. It was, and I would say the grief was better, like a little bit less than general. For me, for sure, and I think for my kids, for sure. Yeah, I think for all the kids. The kids, I mean, we had, this year was the first Christmas where my daughter was so sweet. She was like, well, we're going to, so I like randomly, we have a hot tub, and like we moved into this house, and we were like a hot tub. Who who would even think this is that luxurious? But we all, it got cold, and we all loved it, and everybody was like stealing this one bathrobe. And so last year, I got everyone these, bathrobes that were actually kind of cheesy. I mean, they were pretty cheesy because I was like, no way can I get them all in Christmas pajamas because I have very Norman Rockwell ideas in my head about... Christmas pajamas. <laughs> Christmas and togetherness. And I just, like, I I crave deep family connections and traditions. And I think it's because my home was ripped apart as a child. And then it was also ripped apart again in death. And it was just, like, these severed homes um, make me feel incomplete, but I got everyone robes and, and she was like, well, what night are we getting our robes? And they knew that we, we let them do sibling presents on Christmas Eve. And it was so sweet last year. They really put a lot of thought into the gifts. I can't say they did that. I mean, even that was like more normal because they were like, oh, they kind of last minute this year. Actually, I would say that's a big part of the grief thing for a widow is, those foundation traditions mm-hmm. that you may or may not even like, but they just are. They are, and those get absolutely destroyed. Even if you attempt to recreate them, it's not. It's it's just a. Exactly. That's a kind of a hollow shell of it, and no nobody really has a good time. Even though, 
I know my first Christmas after Betsy died, I was super nervous about it. I mean, I was freaking yeah, out. So Luckily, I had been talking to Jan for about three months. Um, and Jan was like, I, I recommend you just ask the kids what they want to do and then do that. It's like, okay, fine. So I set the kids down and I said, what, what do you guys want to do for Christmas? Cause I was thinking kind of maybe destination Christmas to totally change it or, um, just go to Davis Island. I mean, something simple, you know? And unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, they all immediately said, we want to do exactly what we did last year. When she was alive. Yeah. And I was, uh, I mean, it was, it ripped my heart out, you know, because I, I knew I could do that. Um, I tried to. I tried. I got the tree, and um, I was so, I cried so much I couldn't, I couldn't dress the tree, so the kids dressed it themselves. Um, I did the best I could with the presents, and it was, it was terrible, but it wasn't as bad as I had expected it to be. Your head can always make it so much worse. Yeah, and, but over the last three years, we have slowly kind of, I don't want to say shed, but we've just kind of moved into our own, and we're starting, I can feel us, like this Christmas, I could feel us starting to build the foundation of our new family traditions. And the, the, the silliness of it, like the robe, is a perfect um, example, and we let the kids give them each other gifts on Christmas Eve, which we never did, um, and they love that. So we're starting to build their expectations and our expectations, which I think is is great. And that that may be the core of what makes blending work is once you kind of get to that point where you're starting to do your own thing mm -hmm. and not trying to recreate what what. And just know if you're in the process of like your first holidays or, you know, put, now post the first holidays, it's okay if it's really sad and, and, and it's really hard to let go of years and years of tradition, even if they're traditions you they're begrudge, kind of right? right? Like they're yours and that's what family is. It's like, it may not be perfect, but it's yours. And, you know, it's so easy once it's gone. I mean, like every song ever written about grief, it's, you can't always know what you have until you've lost it. Yeah. And then when you don't have it, it's it's heartbreaking. And then when you're in transition, as I like to call it, my, my shaman is always like, so we're in transition in a lot of spaces in our family life. And I've released this idea that I'm hurting them by being here because the truth is they're just hurt, as my shaman likes me to repeat on, on my mantra. It's not me that's hurting them. I didn't make their mother die. I do represent the fact that she's not here, but I'm here. And I started to think about what if, instead of because I tend to overanalyze and over-intellectualize and I mind chew too much, um, what if I looked at loving them as a stepmother through the somatic lens, through the nervous system lens, so in a polyvagal way, what that looks like is so different, right? And I, I recommend this maybe to all mothers and all fathers out there. What if you are looking to, to provide love and safety for your children? And that, what does that mean? Well, I am here to provide a safe home for my, my children and my stepchildren to be safe, to, to feel, to grieve, to be safe to... Um, be who they are. It's, it's actually harder for me to do that for my children because it sometimes threatens my own um, imprints that I've made that I'm not proud of in the past. 
And um, I, I actually think that's one of the gifts of starting over. Yeah, is sure. that you can go back to the basics. Yeah. Because you accumulate all this stuff that seems important. There's, and it's, a lot of it's just kind of hollow motions you go through. And then when you start over, um, you get to go to the basics, like well, like choose. making a safe place, which is so basic, right? I mean, you don't even... But, so and you assume you're doing that as a, as a parent. But I, I challenge you to look at the interactions, like, you know, the fight you guys had the other night. It's like, well, when you're dysregulated and screaming at each other, neither of you will feel safe. Mm -hmm. So in dysregulation or in holidays or grief moments for us, it's like, mm -hmm. okay, well, I immediately can be triggered that I'm, well, I wish I, wish I was back and being the mother that I was in my old family because in my first, in my family that I created with Carl, it's like, I was able to matriarch a lot there. Like I love, I love being a mom. I mean, it's so hilarious. Like I never realized how much I love being a mom until, until I became a stepmom, and and I took for granted the dinners and all the things I did was really different than what Betsy did. I mean, I think we we are we're different, really different people. Um, both, you know, she did great things. Just diff she was just a different kind of. Um, mom than me. Mm -hmm. And so it, it highlights like, well, that triggers them that why are you trying to be a mom to me is what they say a lot. And I'm like, it's when I look at that energy though, that comes from them, that could be really hurtful. When I say to myself, how can I provide them safety in this moment? That changes my interaction and my response and my reaction. Because if I want them to be safe and even the phrases that they say that are harsh, I just let them say that and be like, you know, that, that hurts my feelings, but you know, I'm so glad that you feel safe enough to tell me how you feel. Yeah, actually, I feel that way about all the negative interactions we have. I mean, you're much better at it than honestly, I Honestly, anytime I would rather them tell me that they hate my guts than to lock up. I mean, I love it when they tell me how they feel, even if how they feel is upsetting um, or, or triggering or whatever. Um, at least, you know, hey, we provided at least the minimum, we provided them a safe space where they feel like they can say how they feel, which well, is a huge... That's a huge thing. So Carr and Kate's therapist, and, and we talked about Carr was the one who's able to say what he feels the most. I mean, he's been in therapy since he was like two years old, and he, had a, he has the most incredible team of therapy um, grief was incredibly challenging. It hit him in a very hard time, and he had a major, um, major traumatic moment where his dad, he was there to, like, basically save his dad's life from bleeding to death. And it was so violent that the chief of, of the fire department in New Orleans, which is, like, you know, as you already probably know, one of the most dangerous cities in America. So they see some shit. He was hysterical, telling me about what my son had witnessed. And... Um, the point is that like when you're that, when you have trauma background or you have a child whose nervous system is easily dysregulated because they've experienced things or you have a difficult child, um, it's, it is far better for them to be wildly emotional, mm -hmm. even if it's inappropriately wildly emotional. And his therapist would always say like, he feels safe to feel. That's why he's emoting in these massive ways. Um, which a lot of people couldn't handle. And I was thinking to myself, 
now versus then as a mom, I used to really need him to not be big emotions. And he was a big emotions kid since he was born. I mean, just, he's a deep feeler like I am actually. And I think I wasn't allowed to have big emotions. I would say I wasn't allowed to have big needs. Maybe I was allowed to have big emotions, but not big needs. And so it's interesting as parents out there, if you have a quiet kid who's a people pleaser, who's doing everything right, that's actually the child that my therapist, who's a world-renowned trauma therapist, would say is the one to worry about. Like I worry about one of David's kids who's he's the easiest one because he always is making sure everyone around him is okay. And I worry sometimes he doesn't, you know, grieve really. He doesn't talk about his yeah, mom a lot. I was, and I was thinking about that our podcast guest that said you know, he said she was a teacher and she got a call from her a parent furious because the, and the parent said, did you tell my son that it was okay for him to be angry? <laughs> and she was like, yeah, it, it's okay for him to be angry. He has things to be angry about and that's, that's okay. Right. But a lot of people, and I, I'm, I'm the, included in that, that you struggle with it. Yeah. You feelings. just want your kids to be okay which unfortunately translates into them not sharing with you how they really feel because not being okay is a part of life. And I, I, it's mirroring what we're talking about and reprogramming. So it's super interesting. It's like, why are we programmed as humans or as parents or humans to make sure everyone is okay? Like, because none of us are actually okay all the time. I think it's just misguided. We don't, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, like a nuclear response to basic parenting, parental feelings that you're supposed to provide them safety, a home, and you, we just blow that up to mean if we really provide them with it, and I'm, you know, and this is absolutely not true, but that if you provide them with a really safe place, that they'll always be um, make A's, and they'll always, yeah. they'll never have discipline problems, and they'll never have a speeding ticket, and they'll never, you know, they won't drink, and all that kind of stuff, and that is just not the fucking case. No. But that's what you want, um, and so you just kind of blow that up, and the truth is, like, the safe part is the core, and the rest is life, you know, and just because they get in trouble, or they don't, you know, do their schoolwork the way you think they should, um, it doesn't mean that they're not growing up as normal. No, right. polyvagal parenting is so awesome because in that way you're like, you can make all the mistakes and feel all right. the ranges and of things. Not to mention, can you come back right. to regulation? Ultimately, ultimately, it's their problem, right? So well, we have to send them out into the world. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, they have so to go. All we can do is provide them with a safe place. The rest is them. Totally. They have to figure it out. I mean, I'm not, I, and I've told my son this many times. I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing what my parents did for me. I'm not. I am not picking your path. I am not um, gonna make you be a certain way. You are gonna figure it out. Otherwise, you and your therapist, when you're 50 and you're ready to get divorced and you have a drinking problem or a gambling problem or uh, a strip club problem or whatever, you know, dysregulatory behavior that is now destructive, you're gonna have a lot to talk about. And yeah. it would be great if you could know yourself before that point. Well, so I love it. Okay, so you said your goals for us as a company, um, a, a co-regulating, maybe not couples, but any gen, any gender yeah. retreat. Yeah, 
I like it. We're actually going for David's birthday. He's having a big birthday coming up very soon. And uh, Unless you live in a vacuum like the Buddha, you're going to have to interact with, at minimum, your spouse. No, and, for sure. And I get asked this a lot um, from women. How do I get my husband to tell me how he feels? Well, you have to provide safety. And that's a big, that's a big deal. What and do you I, need to be safe to feel? Actually, that's a good question for the listeners. Like, what do you, does that, is that question enough? You know what I'm saying when I say that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, what do I do for you to, or a, another person do for you to be safe to feel? I mean, what you do for me that makes me feel safe to feel is I, there is no doubt in my mind that no matter how I feel, you will still love me. And that is it. Isn't that crazy? Because that is, that is it. That's how you make me feel as well. And I only know that distinction because I've never, I never felt that before. I always felt before that it was extremely conditional, extremely conditional. Um, that, for example, for my parents, I needed to make, I needed to be on the honor roll. I needed to be um, at least somewhat athletic. I needed to be, I needed to hunt. I needed to fish. I needed to like the outdoors. Um, and for my first wife, I needed to be productive. And it needed to be rich, actually. It needed to be highly productive. Um, I needed to not complain about work. I needed to um, provide in every way at all times. And I just knew, I knew, and a lot, and I can't put this on Betsy because she never told me, but I, just, I felt inside mm -hmm. that if I didn't do these certain things, that I, that I wouldn't be loved. And do you think that we do this as humans? So, like, it's so interesting because I think it's this is common, and Carl and I had the same kind of stuff. But it's like, did we do that? Was that in truth? Was was? I mean, yeah. And I think sometimes it is. I would never know. I mean, I think some couples do find out, right? So they right. they're unhappy. They go to couples therapy, and then in the midst of couples therapy, they realize that, yeah, I. I don't love him. Right. Or I, I'm, you're not making me feel safe right now. Safe enough to feel or say what I need. And then I think other couples, um, like us, when we start to provide that safe space and we start to really love as unconditionally as non-genetically um, related people possibly can, that really amazing, um, amazing feelings happen. Amazing things happen. Um, and things just sort of kind of continue to fall into place. And I don't mean to imply to anybody watching this that that means it's easy. It is definitely not easy. Well, it's being scared but not allowing the fear to stop you from saying what you need. And that was, I feel like that was David's 2023, was like, I'm going to say what I need. Because that was imperative in therapy that he had not been saying what he needed his entire life. And it was causing him, I mean, really deep suffering. Yeah, quiet, anxiety. quiet, suffering, anxiety for sure. And I still have anxiety, but um, I'm not as dysregulated about it. It doesn't last as long. And it doesn't, most important thing it doesn't do now is it doesn't um, dictate my interpersonal relations. Or your decisions. Right, right. Which it did for ever. And so 2024, how, it's cool because I, I like, you. you're not a big resolutions person. And I don't mean, you know, it's interesting like Deb Dana would say, 
if you're going to make an intention or a resolution from the polyvagal lens, you wouldn't want to make an intention or um, a resolution that feels difficult on your nervous system. So I invite you guys to consider when you're making these intense resolutions. And I think that is the common resolution thing. It is. It's like Lent. Torture. It's like torture. What do you love that you're going to give up? I know. I saw somebody today was like looking at a king cake and just like, it makes me so sad to not eat this king cake. And I was like, I mean, when you're, when you're doing these harsh things on your nervous system is like, I don't want to do this. You're not going to fucking do it. Yeah. I mean, in Louisiana around Lent, every, you know, you say, oh, you, you know, what did you give up for Lent? Oh, I gave up chocolate. Why? You love chocolate. <laughs> you know what? Why not just eat a little bit less of it or something? You know, but it was always like these extreme um, things. I just, I don't like that. It goes against kind of my libertarian. Um, I don't like planned things. Like, I don't want to, like, and I, she's going to hate me for this, but I don't want to have a calendar of shit we're doing for a year. I just don't want to live that way. I want to. If you know him, this goes to the root of, I mean, I think in his family of origin, there was like, I mean, I, I actually love this about his mother, but she's very organized and she will listen to this and say, I know. And thank God she's very calendared and very scheduled and very organized. And to be fair, she's sometimes helped save our ass in that, in that planning. But he, I think, didn't have what you felt like, I'm not talking for you, but a lot of freedom to have these impulsive decisions. And well, you just, <clears throat> you never know where you're going to be. And if you have the, it, for me, at least two things. Number one, you're either going to do something you don't want to do, or you're going to be disappointed that you didn't do something that you wanted to do. So I would rather... Gentle the, reminder. the difference. And because he doesn't always naturally speak up for himself for what he needs, calendaring and organization has nothing to do with this. That's not what keeps people stuck. It's people-pleasing and inability to boundary and say what you need. That's what's gotten you into trouble is because you say yes with a – like I watched him literally this morning. Hilarious. He was like, that works perfectly. Send. And then he looked at his ca- – said, oops, I haven't even checked the calendar. And I was like, you can't well, – do you say yes before you even check. You blame. Uh, yes. And then you look at your calendar. In essence, though, anyone who knows him knows that he is um, an overscheduler, doesn't look at the calendar, and uh, yeah. calendar is not the problem. You just want everyone to be happy, and that's where you get yourself in trouble. Um, yeah, and I want to be able to make a last-minute decision on Thursday when I do prep. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so in uh, what I was saying about resolutions why I started this was in it's cool to look at maybe, like, what of the nervous system actually doesn't feel like this major pull? So how could you take your 2023 intention, which was to say what you needed and transform that? How will you transform that in 24? What's like, what's your, do you have a focal point in your healing this year? This is actually like so good. I mean, this is like, we need to do this more often. I feel like <laughs> we have so many kids. I'm like, what is happening in there? No, I I actually would like to, in 2024, go a little bit on the of the opposite way that we that I've been going, which was so I, I used to always try to spend X amount of time with each person in my life, you know, mm-hmm. and I kind of got away with that away from that because I didn't want to exclude anybody, you know, I wanted everybody. If and when you when you blend. There's, there's like a transition period of how, how do I spend time with these new people? And 
they need more time because you don't know them, right? You've got to get to know them, and the only way to get to know them is to spend time with them. And I wanted to spend time with them. It wasn't a forced thing. But I would like to, now that we're a little bit more blended, um, a little bit more uh, in a calculated way, say, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm going to do this with you this weekend. Or, you know, next weekend, I'm going to go to a horse show with Kate. Or uh, Car and I are going... Camping? One-on-one. Yeah, a little bit more one-on-one time, I think. Uh, I had kind of gotten away from that, and uh, I would like to get back to that. And I and I, I think that, that the one-on-one time I have done, for example, with Lil' Kate has just been, it's, it's wonderful. It's really wonderful. I mean, if, if you're just listening, I'm shaking my head left and right, because his one-on-one time with my daughter is unbelievable. She comes home so ear to ear, and he can't, he's like a marshmallow, he can't help himself. He just ends up at Target or Sephora, and before you know it, she's got $400 in creams that she, for her 10-year-old skin. Any moms out there, what is happening with our 10-year-olds who are, have better skincare and makeup than we do? Uh, but her. <laughs> I think it's wonderful. He can't. He can't. He just loves. He loves. It. He takes her for sugar. He takes her. Yeah, for I mean, ice I, cream. I took her to Target for some health, you know, some skin products, and she literally thanked me ten times. And our kids are bad, just like all kids, about not saying thank you. Um, she thanked me ten times before we got to Target. She thanked me in Target, and then she thanked me all the way home that she was so excited about this moist, this nighttime moisturizer <laughs> that she had to have, and it just, it made my heart sore. It was really cute and special and innocent and... No, it's true. I had um, actually started taking, like, first of all, everyone knows I'm Pilates lover, guru. I mean, it's like evangelical Pilates uh, expert and... That's my main, my main mode of fitness. Um, I, I like to take yoga as like an alternate for my head, um, as well as Pilates, which is good for my head. But I started, I'm not a gym girl. I've never been a gym rat. Like I actually like, what's happening in there? I never, I kind of look at it left and right and I'm like, huh? Yeah. But my son really wanted to learn how to lift weights. And so we started, I found him a really educated personal trainer here in San Antonio. Um, Jesus, my boy, he's amazing. Like we go to Jesus together. We were, we're in a little bit of a lull right now. Um, we were doing two, three days a week together. And it was like moms out there with teenage boys. Like it was the greatest thing we've ever done. And like, do I, I love Jesse. He's an amazing trainer and he's really good in alignment. And, but more importantly, to be able to watch my son put in dedication yeah. in a space and see him interact with this trainer and like one more set and one more this, it was it's it was so healing. So yeah, I think it's yeah. it's hard to find one on one time with five kids. It's hard to find one on one time with two kids. It is, and you like to try to like combine things to knock knock it out at the same time, but it just it ends up. I mean, for me, I always think that my biggest parenting flaw is the is the Norman Rockwell visions in my head of what things are supposed to be like because. I was raised in a home that, like, if everything looked good, you know, like, if you had the right outfit and you, you know, your kids were dressed in smocked outfits and everyone looked like a little, you know, Hannah Anderson catalog, that everything's fine, right? That means that you're doing well if you have these representations of well. And the truth is, in my home growing up, everything was not well. 
and we may have looked well, but we did not. We, we were not always well, like all families. And so, when I spend too much time focused on getting these external validation things, or like making our home a certain way, or getting you know whatever the perfect this that and the other, I miss this time with the children and like. Even work, I've realized that I have to have a balance and I refuse to have a company that will take me away from my family again because I know deep inside of me, after doing many, many, many eulogy exercises that I love to do with my retreat guests, the most important thing when I am being put to, to death is that my children feel like they got a lot from me, a, a lot of love, a lot of stories, a lot of time. And man, it's super hard as parents. Like We can get so caught up. Yeah. And like I, when I watch the girls ride horses, I mean, it's so simple, right? I'm doing nothing but sitting and watching. I drive them 30 minutes from the house. They both ride for 30 minutes and then they, they, they have to scrub their horses and tack them and get them ready and undo it. And, you know, Kate, my stepdaughter, I mean, her love for horses is, it's, it will soar your entire existence. It's yeah. wonderful. You know, my nurse practitioner, who's amazing, um, told me something when I was looking at the schedule for the day after Thanksgiving. Oh, yes. I was like, I think, because, you know, I've only, to go back to we've work. only been in business for six months and, you know, the money's is tight. And um, I was like, I think, I think maybe we should do cases after Thanksgiving. And, you know, maybe we can do one or two procedures and see some patients and that might help. And she told me, she goes, you know, the only people that are going to remember that you worked the day after Thanksgiving is your family. It's true. And that hit, yeah. Yeah, it I it I was like, shit, that's she's totally right. That's Well, kudos to you because he took an entire week off between Christmas and New Year's, which was fantastic because to be honest, I really need the emotional support in that time. Like I don't can I get an amen in the room, ladies? for Christmas and how hard it is as a, those of us who are throwing Christmas as women and why we don't ask our husbands. Well, I mean, I can say that we probably don't ask our husbands for wrapping help because they do that whole crumple it and tape it. But like I made David help me wrap because it was so much. And you know what? It was amazing because it, I could put a bow over your bad <laughs> tape job, but you know, by package number four, he actually did a good job. And that was like something that I feel like my, Jan told me way long ago, even before Carl died. Like, I've been seeing, we've been seeing the same therapist for two marriages now. And she, it's a theme. She said, like, why do we do this to ourselves? It's like, we need help. We want them to help us. But when they do help us, like cleaning the kitchen or doing the dishes, it's, it's not the way we would do it. And so, therefore, we suffer alone in this, in this selfish and codependent way because things have to look a certain way. And that goes back to, for me, false e sense of ego and self, a part of me that isn't me, a part of me that I don't think even our children necessarily attach to, making things look beautiful. And so it was really special this year to have you off. And like, he went with me to Carl's mom's, um, Carl's dad had died and it was like the first family and we had a beautiful Christmas there. And the kids went and saw their grandparents and the North Shore, and that was very important for your three to like spend time with Lara and just really good for everybody. And then we went to Davis Island, which not all everyone was thrilled about, but it was it was good. Yeah, it was overall good.
2024, you want to do one, more one-on-one time. Yep, I'd like to and do more one-on-one one, one time. I'd like to do, continue to do, yeah, continue to do our time. Yeah. Um, we have gotten away a little bit. I realized the date nights we've had lately, I'm like, oh, these are so nice. Yeah, we need to continue to do and take some vacations, just you and I, and we need to continue to do therapy together. I think that's helpful. Yeah, it, we have it a was of a... it was very helpful for me in the beginning to not I wasn't hardly even participating but I was present and I heard and I think sometimes you can tell a therapist in the presence of your spouse things that you can't directly tell your spouse about how you're feeling and they don't they don't even necessarily have to do with me but it it is tremendously helpful to know where your spouse is in her personal journey and uh, her personal development because otherwise you can get I mean, like you get little snippets and you're like, what the, f what the fuck are you talking about? Polyvagal what? Mm -hmm. And you got to kind of let her dig in and listen. And uh, that's that's what I like to do in couples therapy is just listen. And unless I have something that you need to listen, you know, to, or I'm sure you feel the same way that when I say things, you're like. We had been doing couples and then individual. And then this year I decided to, see my therapist, obviously, because she's like life changer. But I, I connected with this, she's also a therapist, but a shaman. And um, she does uh, tantra healing, which everyone hears tantra and they think sex. And it does have a sexual component to it, but it's more about embodiment practices and, and actually being, finding, connecting with the breath and loving yourself, which is a big source of my personal Yeah, I don't have a problem health. with the sex thing. And the truth is sex is a part of intimacy between adults. Yeah. yeah. That's the reality of it. Which, well, by the way, which if we're talking about 2024... You want to have more sex. Well, <laughs> I mean... You said no? Perfect. I don't want to have less. <laughs> At least you feel good about where we are. That's, that's a good... But I think it's an important thing, too. Like, in 2024, for me, one of the things I really want to do is I want to work on embodiment. And embodiment's a hot word right now in the healing pop psychology world. And what does it mean? It means to be in your body. It means to be like in feeling your inside your container, right? And so instead of just autopiloting and running and not connecting with how we feel, you know, I've been working on how do I feel for quite some time, but how do I feel in the body is unique, especially as women. I'm unpacking a lot um, of shit, patriarchal shit that makes me feel shy or ashamed of my body um, with the shaman. So it's been super interesting. It's like all this negative headspace, all this negative headspace towards my body. And and even in, in towards intimacy, I think as women, we can, I mean, can I get an amen out there when you're in the bedroom and you're with your partner and you love them and you're having this wonderful sexual experience, but then your head is like, I feel fat. Did I shave my legs? Oh, I, sh I wish I would have not eaten that today. Like, the way that we, you know, my shaman said this week, like it was such an interesting conversation. She made me repeat all these negative voices in my head. And she works on a um, therapy modality called, it's like reprogramming essentially, like the thoughts in your head. And so connecting the somatic, so connecting the nervous system, the body with the mind, and you have to do both for true healing. But it's, it's true for women, we are in our heads so much and not able to be in our bodies because the world has kind of made us like, don't be too sexy, don't be too fat, don't be too this. There's tremendous amount of pre-programming. Do men feel that? Uh, no, 
not as not I mean, as you much. You walk around naked, no problem. Not as much. I think a lot of that, and this may be controversial or not, I don't know, but a lot of that comes from Western religion. Religion, yeah, for sure. I mean, they, and they start very early that you should be ashamed. You know, you ought to have a fig covering your your genitals. <laughs> um, you know, God forbid you display the thing that allows you to reproduce and to have enjoyment. It's right. it's really fucked up. And then magazines and books and all that other stuff where the, the, there is a lot of misogyny out there and men want to control um, the sexuality of women. Do uh, you think that? Absolutely. Why? What is, what's the benefit, do you think? Um, just control. Just and control. why do you think that is? Do you think it's just a deep-seated fear that if they don't control, then they... You know, if women get too powerful, they won't love them, or they won't have as much value. Um, well, they just have less power. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you control, from a man's point of view, if you control a woman's sexuality, I mean, what else is there? That's you. You you own their body. Have you ever been guilty of controlling someone's sexuality? I try not to. And give me examples, because I think people listening will be like, "Wait, what?" Um, yeah, you can't wear that. You can't. You can't wear that in public. That's too sexy. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing. Um, Didn't one of your biggest fights in your previous marriage was about the use of the body? Oh, I, and, oh, and it was like, oh, literally in glue. Yes, we had this huge fight that we were going to teach our daughter how to, quote, use her body. And I was like, mm, to, quote, get what she wanted. I was like, in my personal opinion, until um, women own their bodies, there's never going to be any sort of equality. I mean, that... Whoa. Yeah. That was a fucking quotable. Say that again. I, it's true. Until... David Long. This is libertarianism in a nutshell, by the way. <laughs> I'm a so libertarian. One, a of libertarian the cores, one of the cores of libertarianism is private property. And the ultimate private property is your, your body, right? So until women own their body, embodiment practice is what you're saying... There will never be equality wow. as long as That's women as long as women are looking externally for what to wear, what not to wear, what to say, what not to say, who to have sex with, who to have. I mean, then someone is always going to be there to tell them, and it's going to be a man. You know, it's so. It's, speaking of that programming too, it's like from fourteen, thirteen, whenever your you know sexual peak and relationships start is like, and I see the boys doing it too, but it's like everything you say and do is. Is that right? Is this right for the for the guy, for the girl? You know, it's so interesting. Yeah, she shouldn't be hearing that is a common thing. But and you think boys are always embodied? Um, or do you think they're just sexually embodied? I think that our culture allows men to be more sexually embodied. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's by choice, right? So that's the men controlling the sexuality. That's right. Well, 2024 for me is embodiment. That's if I had to do one word. I don't, people are always like, name one word. I'm like, that's so fucking hard for me. I'm too long-winded to be saying one word of anything. But embodiment, because I do, I don't know. You know, it's like my dad was an infertility specialist, gynecologist, and I grew up in this home with freedom about sexuality. Like my parents actually talked about sex a lot because that was what my dad did for a living. And my mom was a nurse, and, and my parents had a very... Um, I very, and this is weird to say, but a very active sex life. Like I knew, I knew they were having sex a lot. Like, and they joked about it. They locked the door on Sunday. Oddly enough, they ended up getting married because my dad, I mean, they got divorced because my dad had infidelity. So there was a severing of some sort of intimacy at some point. But I don't know. It's just like I didn't grow up with that in the home, but I was raised in the Catholic faith, and that was incredibly 
uh, dichotomous. And then my dad, there was a there was a point where my dad, some of my siblings too, like, don't be a hoe, don't get pregnant, don't do this. Catholicism deserves a knock, but it's not just Catholicism. I mean, there's a lot of religions where the ideal woman is a virgin. The virginal, pure woman is the ideal woman. Not the woman that knows how to tell you what you want, tell you what she wants. Not the woman that knows how to please herself or how to enjoy her body. Um, those are There's, those I are mean, things. Not that even have to don't be... even talk about orgasm, like in, you right. know, for female orgasm, like right. it. It most women are not penetration, and therefore, how much foreplay are we having out there, ladies? I don't, you know, if you're not telling your man what you need, and you're in your head worrying that you're not sexy enough, sexy enough for what? Like, I mean, fuck me. This is the thing. It's like when you unpack some of this shit, you're like, sexy enough for for who? For me or for you? Yeah. So which means, again, I'm, I'm not worthy of being in my body in the sexual experience yeah. because I'm not pretty enough for you. Like, it's a very weird mental breakdown, and it's innate. It's super weird. And then I'm intelligent and know enough about myself to know that this, is, this isn't this is even me. This is programming. Like, this isn't how I think or feel. And so... And I mean, actually, I think unprogramming, I've read a bit about this, is unprogram requires a ton of work. Yeah. Because number one, you have to first identify that you've been programmed. Because a lot of people are in denial that they've been programmed. They just feel this way. And they don't know. This right. Way. They yeah. don't know why they feel this way. Um, so they get, you literally have to go back to the beginning of why you feel that way. Well, that's a, so this, the shaman that I'm working with, this is like she's a, she does hypnotherapy and she does tantric work and, She's a yoga instructor and, and a, a licensed clinical therapist, but it's been interesting as we're unpacking some of this. And it's we have a we have an amazing uh, sex life. We have a really like, and it was an eye opening experience. About, I mean, you, it's hard to be married twice and not compare your marriages. And and I try not to make comparisons of you two as people, but I mean, who I am as a person is what I tend to analyze a little bit, which is like, why didn't I ever say what I needed in the past? Marriage? I mean, I, I did the same thing. Why wasn't I able to, and, and, and you know what's the saddest part? In my 20s, yeah. I mean, my body, I mean, it was probably the strongest, hottest, most fertile. You know, you're like, fuck. So, I, did, I did exactly the same thing, actually. As I'm watching women, you know, my siblings, some of them are older than me. I'm fifth of six. You know, my closest sister is like premenopausal, um, maybe. And, and it's just interesting. Like, I know what's coming, and I know that we are in this, like, great phase right now where I'm like, I really want to embody most of my life this year, and, and I want to be present. I want to be in my, in, in my space and, in, and with my family and in my body and not be ashamed of it anymore. Yeah. So that's, that's 24 for me. What else? 2024, we've got some great guests coming on that are going to be wonderful in we the do. next few we weeks. We have a lot of guests. Um, I would love to find I think it's a little and bit more just us talk like this yep, too. And I'm gonna really look for a um I wanna have some more men on for sure. Um we have a man coming on who's gonna be great. Tomorrow. Is it tomorrow? Mm-hmm. And put um, that on your calendar. <laughs> uh I would love to get somebody a, a thinker in the field. That I would love to get a leader. Oh yes. What they what they call a medicine, a thought leader. I would love to get a thought leader on the show and pick, pick their brain and have them pick our brain and, and see how that resonates. To be fair, um, 
I haven't reached out to too many like high level psychological. We are actually going to have a really two very good um, psychologists and a psychiatrist yeah. come on soon. But we are. I've I've taken it a little easy on comfortable people that are high level. Um, one of the twenty twenty four goals for me is Wake App. You know, we started development, and it's yeah. really. Well, we've got a lot of work to do. It's a transition. We're in transition right now, so it will become an anti-anxiety tool, and it's used for dysregulating and re-regulating or down-regulating the nervous system. And so I'm in transition with the developers, and we're really, like, I have a behind-the-scenes team working night and day to, like, create new content, and, and I'm slowly un undoing what was done and redoing it because, to be fair, tech is not my field, and there was a big learning curve big learning curve and so I had to put it out I think there. the tech will be secondary to the if we just have a good core what the app is for yeah then it'll be useful to a lot of people I think yeah so check it out we're uh, we're always evolving if you're not a subscriber um, I highly recommend subscribing we've got a lot of somatic exercises which are what we're talking about so how to be embodied and how to get your nervous system into a better space when you're feeling dysregulated, which I think if you just check in with yourself, like most of us are dysregulated like mm, yeah, 100 be, times during the Because day. nothing we say here is going to keep you from getting dysregulated, right? You are going to get upset. Well, the goal is to not, is not to be not dysregulated, actually. You're always going to be activated. That's human existence. But it is to return back to eventual that's vagal right. state, and which that's is what safety. The, I think the app is going to help people uh, recognize where they are and then mm -hmm. help them get back to a regulated state where they right. can function. You have to know, I mean, we're working on a platform of notice it, name it, attend to it. And, and it's like, those are, those three steps are very easy where you you notice how you're feeling. I notice, and Dave and I say this a lot, this is, um, it was hocked out of one of my courses and I'm forgetting the lady's name who created this. So it's, it's not unique to us, but she said to normalize, and it, it, it's kind of a combination of what we're doing. So we notice it, we name it, and we attend to it. But when Dave and I are working through that three part, we say to ourselves, I notice that I'm feeling dysregulated. Mm -hmm. A lot of people feel dysregulated. Mm -hmm. I notice that I'm feeling anxiety here. That's the normalization. A lot of people feel anxious. Yeah. And then the third part is, yeah. I always forget the third part. A statement of kindness. Be kindness to yourself, that's right. So David actually attached to this little thing because we were listening to a, one of my lectures. I've been, I'm constantly educating myself in the polyvagal lens and one of the lectures and he loved it. He was like, the kindness to yourself would be. It made a lot of sense to me. And my, mine was, I'm glad that I'm feeling. Say that, yeah, that's right. Like, I'm going to continue to, it's okay for me to feel. So David said, I'm, I'm feeling dysregulated. And then you said, right, what did you say? I'm, I said it's common. It's, it's really common to be dysregulated. And then you say to yourself. I'm glad that I'm feeling these feelings. I'm going to keep feeling, yes. And I'm going to keep feeling. It's really good for me to keep yeah. feeling my feelings. Right. Something like that, which is, that's like self-love in, in the process. Right, it's just letting yourself say to yourself, hey, it's okay to, it's okay to feel, it's okay to be anxious, it's okay yeah, to... Yeah, so the app will teach things of that nature, which are little tools as you're navigating what's triggering you and what's causing you know, dysregulation in the nervous system is old patterns. And there's lots of, lots of techniques out there to get yourself understanding about your old patterns and then say to yourself, I'm in a trigger, I'm in a dysregulation, yeah. I'm feeling anxiety, I'm feeling stress. It's okay to feel stress. A lot of people feel these varied emotions yeah. and then practice an affirmation that 
in healing, I'm going to feel something yeah. and it's okay. So 2024, more feeling, more polyvagal lens for me. The app is going to be completely different. So it's already in the transitional process. Um, watch out for that. Mid-January, we will be relaunching pretty much everything. There's tons of cool AI features. Uh, there's a therapy bot on there that will literally, I have like been programming and programming and programming to go through a lot of the tools that I've learned um, through thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of therapy. We're going to be more embodied, or I'm going to be more embodied. You're going to have more one-on-one time with each of the kids. Also, yeah. Anything else? Um, flying? Yeah, we're going to start flying some more. Um, David likes to do uh, adventurous things and adrenaline-seeking things. I like to fly. There's a, there's actually a lot of analogies of polyvagal stuff with flying. 100%. Um, not the least of which is instrument flying where you can't trust what's coming into your body. You can't you can't believe the mind can screw you. Right. Is what you're saying. Exactly. If you're and yeah, we can talk about that forever, but it's fascinating to me that a lot of a lot of pilots die cuz they literally look at their instruments and go, mm, "No, there's no way that's real." Right. That's, there's no way that's right. They think the instrument is broken. <laughs> well, we hope that you guys are having an amazing 2024. And I think to recap some of the, there are some fucking gems in this one. Well, we're going we're gonna to keep doing what we do. And I think we're going to continue to grow. And I'm sure the podcast will change. One of the things I like to do in the podcast is, um, I hope that's our dog, mm -hmm. is uh, we have quite a few subscribers and listeners to the podcast. And I would like to find a way to integrate some of their thoughts and feelings. Yeah. Um, so that we can connect with the people that are listening a little bit better. Because I talk to people all the time that are like, oh, my God, your podcast is really amazing. P particularly men tell me this. Right. And I would love to bring some of their thoughts onto the podcast in a kind of organized way. Uh, maybe like a top 10 questions or top 10 feelings about what we're talking about. Or, um, for example, like I th I'm, I'm fascinated at the similarities of the experiences that asleep men have. Mm -hmm. It's it's pretty, it's pretty formulaic almost, which I find disturbing, because we all think that we're having this unique experience. But the truth is, a lot of us are in the same, in the same boat, uh, in a lot of ways. So we I, th are. I think that would be fun to explore. Um, and for whatever reason, I continue to find myself drawn to the the men part of this equation. Oh, um, that makes pretty right because I am yeah I'm a man. Um, okay, well I love that. Yeah, so we are going to be um, more interactive with the podcast listeners. We'd love to hear from you guys. Um, if anyone's dying to get on the show and just have a conversation with us because you're connected to it or you uh, want to talk about something unique with us, please, by all means, you can reach out. Um, Fresh Pick Studios is our uh, director. My dog is losing it. And she is always willing to schedule any guest. And I think we learned a lot. David said if we are until women are embodied – we will never be equal with men. No. Talk about a powerful. So happy 2024 women and men out there and all people listening. We are um, starting a little later than usual, but say la vie, that's life, right? We, 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 took our, we took some mindfulness breaks during the holidays and are returning to life as we speak. So thank you for listening and tune in to our next episode. We've got a lot of good guests coming up this year and happy holidays. For those of you who had uh, struggled through the holidays, we are here in solidarity with you and and know that if you're experiencing grief, it's normal. Christmas is such a time of, as we talked about, traditions and reflections. Yeah. 
super normal to feel um, the loss of those loved ones that are no longer with us or those traditions that we've lost. If anything, your life loss is, a, is can be just a change. And yeah. so just know that as you grow, you won't, the people that you've lost obviously are not going to be coming back and are not replaceable, but you can recreate new traditions and eventually those new traditions will stop feeling so painful yeah. and start feeling more like your own. And so that's such a ray of hope, I think, for my grieving people who are listening. Okay, well, we'll see you soon. Happy yep. 2024. Thank you. This has been Wake the F Up Podcast, hosted by Alex and David Long. Be sure to check out other episodes where our community of experts share tools and ideas to help you wake to the life inside of you. If you enjoyed this episode of Wake the F Up, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Join the Wake community by downloading our app. Just search for The Wake Wellness in the Apple or Android App Store. And follow us on Instagram at The Wake Wellness. Thanks for listening.